Thank you very much, both of you. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much. I don't know, <clears throat> maybe it's just me, maybe it's the music this morning, but um, I just had a sense of just the privilege of being here, the privilege of being in church. I mean, um, you and I could have made a lot of different decisions today. Could have been a lot of different places. Could have been home in bed, just snuggled up, you know. <clears throat> Yet we came. And we came to honor and to worship the Lord and to be with one another and to encourage one another and to help each other grow. That we just would sing um, Christ be the center of our lives. I think that would please Paul as we are going to journey into a, a kind of another section of this great book of Romans. But Paul is now going to take us on a journey from, from getting so much doctrine to where he wants us to live it out in our lives. And what he's going to do today in Romans chapter 5. Please turn your Bibles if you have them. Romans chapter 5, and uh, we're going to start looking from verse 12 through 21. Now, I want to tell you up front that many theologians say this is one of the more difficult places in Scripture to put your arms around. One of the one of the problems in this place in Scripture, if I, I don't think there is any, and I don't think it's that difficult, to be honest with you. Now, I know that's foolish. I mean, uh, fools do rush in where angels fear to tread. And I, I grant you that. But this place in Scripture is, <clears throat> is not that difficult if you come to it by faith. If you just trust in God and trust that He is desiring to teach you something new and deeper in your walk with Him, that Christ would be the very center of, of our lives. And what Paul is going to do is what theologians call the federal headship of death and sin. Let me tell you what that means in a nutshell. What it means in a nutshell is that when Adam was in the garden way back then and he took from Eve that piece of fruit and took a bite of it after the Lord told him, don't do that. The day you eat of that fruit, you are going to what? You're going to die. You're going to die, Adam. And yet he took a bite of it. You know what? The Bible teaches that you and I were as much a part of that as Adam and Eve. It's not fair. It's not fair, but it's the truth. That is called the federal headship of sin and death. And because of that fact... Every single one of us from that moment forward, we're gonna, I'll show you in a moment, we're born in sin. Every one of us. And there is only two families that the Bible speaks of in this faction. It is Adam's family and the family of Christ. One comes from birth. That's all of us. We're all in it. The other comes through faith. Now that's what Paul has been teaching all along in these first four and a half chapters. He's been teaching the whole ideal of that you and I must come to Christ through faith. There is no other way. And so what Paul wants to do is to bring the people who have trusted in Christ by faith into this place called sanctification. A lot of big words where we will set ourselves apart 
for the cause of Christ. And so that is what is being, is being reasoned here, but it's tough to read. And it's tough to understand unless you just take it by faith and trust that God will teach you in it all. Now, let's, let's read in chapter 5 of Romans from verse 12 through 21. And I want to show you something. I want to show you the natural recourse of what Paul taught the people in Rome. It's kind of fun for me anyways to see how this thing all unfolds. Read with me, please. Chapter 5, verse 12 through verse 21. Therefore, let me stop just for a second. Because of all that has taken place, Paul is going to say, therefore. Now, he is moving forward. Therefore, he says, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin was not imputed when there was no law. Therefore, there, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Told you. This is tough. Verse 15. But the free gift, is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through the one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. Verse 20 and 21. The law came in that the transgression might increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, you can see why some pastors get headaches. This is a, this is a place in Scripture that, that, that takes time. It, it takes some digging. It's, what is Paul saying? What we see here, for instance, let me just show you something we've just read. It said, when the law, verse 20, excuse me, I knew where I was, but you didn't. Verse 20, the law came in that the transgressions might increase. You know what basically he is saying? What I say over and over again. 
when you read the Bible and you start feeling good about yourself, you've misread the Bible. You see, the Bible was written to show you and me how desperately we need a Savior. And so it says there in verse 20, when the law came in, sin increased. In other words, the more they read, the more they saw they were, there was something wrong with them. But through the law, through the Lord came grace, God's unmerited favor, which gives you and me forgiveness. Now, let me show you what, 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 what naturally took place. And this, to me, was fun. I mean, I would have loved to have been in the Bible study that Paul was given with those people in Rome. Because the moment he got through talking about verses 20 and 21, their natural response is what we're going to look at next week. And they say in chapter 6, look, chapter 6, verse 1, this is just throw in, just to think about something. They say, well, are we to sin? Are we to continue in sin so that grace might increase? He, Paul just said, look, when sin came in, grace got even more. It cared, in other words, it took care of your sin. Grace took care of your sin. Paul, yes. Should I continue to sin so grace looks better? Oh, no, he says. No, 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 God forbid. Look what he says in the next verse. No, do you not know? No, may it never be. In other words, God forbid. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? And then he says, here's what I want you to do. Verse 4 at the end of it, chapter 6. I want you to walk in a newness of life. That's what I want from you. I want you to sanctify yourself. I want you to set yourself apart. I want Christ to be the center of your life. Look what he says in verse 6. Verse, at the end of verse 6, I don't want any longer for you to be a slave to your sin. Now, this is a great place in Scripture, folks. If, if by the grace of God, we need to pray, and if by the grace of God, the Lord God will touch your heart in this, you'll never be the same. This will be a place that might transform your life. Because it'll be a place that'll take you from, from the, 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 the looking at the Word of God and, and just digesting it and making it something that is just a, a, a kind of school taught to where you start to live it. So it starts to flow out of you. Instead of coming all in this way, you take all that you've taken in this way and it starts to go out of you and you start to be sanctified, setting yourself apart. So I'm going to pray in a moment. And, and, but let me just say this before I do. I would encourage you to do something in your life that um, I was taught a long, long time ago and to this day I still do it. I have a watch. Bought this watch for $4.95. Yeah, I did. It was on sale because one of the things is missing. You can't, can't, you have to get a, have to get a, a, a I figured out a safety pin. I'll fix it. So I, 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 I adjusted with a safety pin, but that's not the reason. I don't care how good this watch is. And I've had some say to me in places I've gone to where I wore it, they said, wow, what a wonderful watch. Where'd you buy it? Like it's really something expensive. I said, oh, a very nice place. <laughs> French place called Targay. <laughs> yeah. So, but I bought this watch for one reason and one reason only. It beeps every hour. I, I don't care what time it is when it beeps. It beeps for a reason in my life. It beeps to show me, to tell me, how are you walking with the Lord right now, John? And sometimes it beeps at the most inopportune moments. Something I'll be doing that I wished I wouldn't have been doing when it beeped. And I'm trying to teach myself that when it does beep, 
whatever it is I'm doing, if I'm praising the Lord, I thank Him for it. And if I'm off kilter, I ask Him to forgive me and get back on course. I also have things on my desk where I study. Mm, for instance, when I'm, when I'm doing my, 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 these things, for instance, which is, takes me most of the time, and when I bold something, I don't just bold it. I think I want to be bold for Christ. It just reminds me of things about Christ. When I, I, when I make something italicized, that's another thing that reminds me of you or the church. Or There's just reminders in my life. When I get in my car and I drive, I see things on the road that remind me of my walk with Christ. And so I would encourage you, to infiltrate your life with the things of God so that you can start sanctifying yourself. That word is just a big old word that just simply means set yourself apart for the cause of Christ. To be ready to serve Him. Thank you for that amen, by the way, brother. I loved it. So that you would be desirous to live a life that exemplary. So this is a difficult place. Every commentator says it. But I'm telling you, it's, by the end of this half an hour, I, it, we're going to be okay. You're going to get it. Because we're going to pray to ask God to do that. Let's do that right now. Father, please. I ask you often, no, every time I think, to move me aside. I am so serious when I ask that, Lord. I hope that people understand what I'm trying to say. I just want to get out of your way. I want you to minister to us. I can't do what you can do. I'm not that smart. I, I'm, I don't have what, what you have. And so I ask, Father, that you would, as it says in Psalms 119, open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. And so, Father, I personally give you free reign with these people now i understand that each of us individually uh, we're in charge of our own hearts and we're in charge of our own prayers but i ask father that you would just minister to us that the very spirit of god would fall upon us and anoint this place in such a fashion that that we couldn't help but learn but more than learn is what paul is trying to say to us today that we would take what we learn and start to apply it in our lives so that we would be sanctified, so that when the people in Rome asked him, are we to continue in sin? He said, no, 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 of course not. Do you not know that you who have died, died to sin, who have been buried, are now risen with Christ? So walk in a newness of life. Do not let yourself be any longer a slave to the sin that encompasses us in this world in which we live. So bless us, please, Father. Thank you for the signing of, uh, of the message. Thank you for those that are here. Just thank you for these dear people whom I love so much. And Father, bless us all. I pray this in the precious and most glorious name of names. That is the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're in three categories you're going to see in this place in Scripture. I mean, let me kind of lead you up to it. God now, in this place in Scripture that we just read, makes a comparison between Adam and Christ. 
God wants you and me to be taken out of death and its control, Adam's family, and been move into the family of God, the family of Christ. And we have, a, we have something that, that Paul uses a theme here in the fifth chapter. He's, he says it over and over again. It's, I don't know if it's a theme as much as it is like a phrase. He says much more. He uses much more about five, six, seven times. Much more than, much more than, not only this. He keeps saying you have so much more. And so the more that we have is this. In Colossians chapter 1, let me read it to you, verses 13 and 14. Listen, Paul wrote, talking about Jesus Christ, He rescued us from the domain of darkness. He transferred us into the kingdom of of His beloved Son, in whom, in Christ, you and I have redemption. We have the forgiveness of our sins. I want you to hold on to that, because that's a wonderful thing. You have been rescued from the domain of darkness. Now, I'm going to talk the rest of this message as if everyone here is a believer. I hope you don't mind that. For those of you that are visiting and, and you've not yet given your heart to Jesus Christ, we love you very much. And uh, so does the Lord. And uh, I'm not e excluding you. As a matter of fact, I'm, a, I'm assuming that you're going to hear this and, and, and give reason in your heart to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. But I'm going to talk to us as if we are all believers in this room. Because this is the way it's written, basically. Paul is talking to those in Rome whom he has drawn to Christ. And he is asking them to stop taking it all in and start living it out. So, each person on the face of this earth is either in one group or another. You either Adam by birth, that's all of us, or you are in Christ by faith. And that's what Paul has been teaching up to this point. Faith, faith, faith. Used Abraham, used uh, uh, David, and he's used uh, all of these ideas to say, you cannot work your way to this, this place in, in heaven. You cannot work your way there. You've got to come by faith. Once you come by faith, then you can do all the things you want to for the love of God, but it won't make you any more saved and it won't make you any more loved by God. But you do these things because you want to be set apart. You want to live for one another. The gift that God has given me is the gift that he has given her is the gift that he has given to this dear young lady is different and unique. And he uses these gifts that he has given us to bless the family, you and me. So your gift will bless me and my gift by the grace of God will bless you. And so that's the way it's supposed to be. We bless one another within the family of God. And so we are either in Adam's family or we've moved away from his family by faith into the family of Jesus Christ. There are oh, only these two families on the whole face of this earth. That's why I think Dr. McGee again says you either a saint or you ain't. In writing about Adam and Jesus Christ, Paul does not allow us to think of humanity as a chance gathering of individuals. In other words, this race of people, this denomination, this group, we weren't supposed to be that way. We were supposed to be in two groups. Adam's family who have rejected God and do not want to come to him by faith and the rest of us who by faith trust in Christ for our salvation. 
So, Paul wants to explain today, up to this point, what he has been telling you and me, is that we have been declared righteous. In other words, we don't have a righteousness of our own. We've learned that. None of us are righteous. No, not one. But we have been declared righteous. You and I have been given the righteousness of Christ. Thank God. Therefore, we are not guilty before God Almighty. We have been justified by His Son, by faith in His Son. And so what Paul wants for you and me is to stop living like we're slaves to our sin. Move away. Sanctify yourself. Maybe buy an old watch that beeps. We have an alarm clock in our house too, by the way. Alarm clock, no. Grandfather clock. Bought it on our 10th anniversary. Uh, Kay and I have been married now. How long have we been married now? Who knows? Oh, we're moving in on our 40th. So we've owned this clock for 30 years. It, it rings on a half hour once and on the hour, whatever hour it is. That thing is one of my favorite things I have in life. I, I don't, we bought it on our, on our 10th anniversary when we went back to Boston. It's another story. I'll tell you someday about it if I haven't already. Anyways, we have it in our home and it... It rings because it's beautiful and I love it, but it also rings to remind me that our house belongs to Christ. It's my little tool. I use it for the, for the glory of God and to set myself apart. So we're no longer slaves to sin. That's why I would encourage you to find something in your life that always reminds you because you, are, you and I are in a battleground. Let me show you why in a moment. So we are going to move from, from being justified, secure in the knowledge of who we are, not guilty, and we're going to move towards being sanctified or set apart. Paul is going to deal now with our hearts, moving us from doctrine to practical application. Let's live it out. Neither Paul nor our Lord wishes us to continue Drowning in our old sin habits, just as we read in chapter 6, as we'll see next week. Walk in a newness of life, he says. Don't lo no longer let slin, slin be your slob. <laughs> well, we won't record this one, will we? No longer let um, be slaves to your sin. The question is, are we ready and willing to walk with Christ in this manner? I sure pray and hope so. Paul is moving from doctrine to practical. How? How do we walk? How do you and I live out this Christian faith? And I'm here to say to you that each one of us will do it in our own way, in our own style. In other words, you might never want an old watch that beeps. That's okay. doesn't mean this is right and, and your way is wrong. But when you have in your, in your life things that remind you of Christ, to me it helps. It helps a lot. And here's why. In verses 12, 13, and 14, as we just read a moment ago, there are three major problems in all of our lives. And the problem is, in verses 12, 13, and 14, there is a presence of sin that, is to, that is surrounds us all the time. You can't get away from it. There is also a penalty due to the sin that surrounds everyone that walks the face of this earth. And there is a power of sin over people until they get rid of it. Let me show it to you. First problem, 
presence of sin. It's clear. Read verse 12 with me once more. Therefore, because of what happened way back in the garden, therefore, just as through one man, that one man was Adam, sin entered into the world. Remember what happened to Adam in the garden? God said in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, listen to it. He said, the Lord commanded the man, said, from any tree in the garden you may freely eat. Enjoy, enjoy, Adam. But from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is in the middle of the garden, you shall not eat from it, he's told him. He says, in the day that you eat from it, the day that you eat from it, Adam, you shall surely die. Well, in chapter 3 of Genesis, the serpent came upon the woman, remember? And he came to the woman, and it says that he, the serpent, was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said that, that you shall not eat from any tree in this garden? Very devious. He just took a, he just took a swipe at the word of God. Indeed, has God said you shouldn't eat from any tree in the garden? And she said, oh, oh, and on the contrary. From the fruit of the tree of the garden, we can eat. It's just the one in the middle of the garden. The one in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it. And then she added, nor touch it. And that's what I believe Adam said. Don't even get near it, Eve. Don't even touch it. Don't, don't, don't. She says, you shall not, we shall not eat from it, nor touch it, or we'll die. Serpent says, you surely shall not die. Because, he says, God knows in the day that you eat from it, your eyes are going to be open. You're going to be like God. You're going to know the difference between good and evil. What he's saying to her is, God's keeping something from you. He doesn't want you to be everything that you can be. Go ahead, eat it. That dirty rat. Boy. Well, the woman saw, verse 6, that the food was good. She saw that it was the delight for her eyes. She saw that the tree was desirable to make her wise. So she took of it, and she ate, and she gave it to her husband, and he also ate. Back up to chapter 2, 17. Adam, don't eat from this tree. The day you eat from it, you're going to surely die. Well, the sad part about it is that theologians call this a federal headship of Adam and sin. You and I took a bite of it too. We did. We are represented by Adam. And so as far as God is concerned, we were there with Adam in that garden and took a bite of it. We have all sinned. You might say it's not fair. Wait a moment because you're going to see something that's far more greater fair. As a matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 5, when, when Adam and Eve gave birth to Seth, their son, look what, it says, look what it says of Seth. It says, Adam had a son in his, Adam's, own likeness, according to his, Adam's, image, named him Seth. You might say, okay, so what? Well, up to that time, everybody's been born in the image and likeness of God. But all of a sudden, now Seth had the same sin nature that Adam, his father, had. He was in the presence of sin. It was all around him. So our first problem is this. There's the presence of sin. 
It's within us. It is directly a part of this world, and it directly affects you and me. You can't get away from it. You can't. It is, it is just permeated this world in which we live. I mean, it, there's sin all around us. And sadly, we're a part of it. Which brings us to the second problem. Because there is sin all around us, there is also a penalty that comes from this sin, and it is also in verse 12. Read on with me, look. It says in verse 12, as it begins, let me see if I can, yeah. Therefore, as through one man sin entered into the world, there is a presence of sin in this world, and now death, death through sin. So death spread to whom? To all men, because all have sinned. That's the federal headship. Theologians call. Remember in Genesis where God said, the day that you eat from this tree, Adam, you are going to surely die. Well, death, death came upon all of us and, and gave us a separal, uh, what, what, I, what I would call a spiritual separation from God. In other words, what was the first thing, what was the first thing that Adam and Eve did after they made loin coverings when they recognized they were naked? And so they... They went and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And what did they do? Very good. Very good. If you didn't hear that, they hid from God. Spiritually, they separated themselves from God. All of a sudden, they didn't, whereas before they would run up to Him, I'm sure, and say, oh, Dad, you know. Now all of a sudden, they separated themselves from Him. That's what sin does. Sin brings upon us a penalty, and that penalty is death. So the problems due to sin is there is a presence of sin in this world, and you and I cannot get away from it. It's all around us. And that presence of sin will bring about a penalty, which is death. And that brings in the third power, I mean, excuse me, third problem, and that is there is a power in sin. It's just powerful. Now, verses 13 and 14 are difficult to understand, but let me just read it to you so that you'll understand it. The fact that even though sin was in the world, it was not formally charged or imputed, that's the key word, imputed against us, not until, at that time, until Moses gave the law. But Paul, I say, I believe, says it better. It's a little bit more easy to understand in Romans chapter 7, verse 9, when Paul says, I was once alive. Paul's words. I was once alive, apart from the law. But when the commandment or the law came, sin became alive and I became dead. What is he saying? What I say to you over and over again. Once the law came into his life, he recognized what a wretched individual he was. He wasn't, he wasn't as nice as he thought he was. And all of a sudden, the law started to convict him of his sin. And he realized he wasn't no more alive than the man. Um, he was no more alive than what? Uh, he was dead. <laughs> when sin, when the law came in, sin became alive and I became dead. He said, that's basically 13 and 14. The Bible convicted him. Through the fall of Adam, 
and introduced to all of us the virus of sin and death. And with this sin came the presence of sin, the penalty of sin, which was death, and the power of sin. It just convicted, convicted, convicted until some people have, if you've probably met some, who have just hardened their hearts. They've got to a place, if you don't like it so much, deal with it, you know. So, you, you don't like what I just did? No big deal. You're the problem, not me. Hardened, hardened, hardened. Instead of saying, you know, I just offended you. Please forgive me. Oh, no. <laughs> Some people wouldn't say that no more than fly. So, because of Adam's first sin, death is imputed given to every single one of us. Romans 3.23, all of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. So Adam's death, by the way, if not dealt with, if you don't deal with this birth of being a part of Adam's family, it will ultimately live, it will ultimately lead to what is called the second death. You know what that means, don't you? In the book of Revelation, it says, Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is called the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the Lamb's book of life, that person was thrown into the lake of fire. Terrible place. Terrible place. Now, Paul, as he doesn't, never does, doesn't leave us out there alone. He gives us a solution, and the solution is far greater than, than the problem. The solution is all-encompassing. I'll show you. The solution is found not in Adam, of course. The solution is found in Christ. And now Paul shifts gears in verses 15 through 21 and talks about the blessings that you and I have because of the death of Jesus Christ and faith. Watch. Verse 15. But, after talking about those first three things, the, the, the presence of sin, the penalty of sin, and the power of sin, but, Paul says in verse 15, the free gift, it's not like the transgression. No, the free gift is nothing like what you just experienced with Adam. For if by the transgression of the one, Adam, many died, here's Paul's favorite term again, much more. In other words, this is better than what you have with Adam. Much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. Let me read it this way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, it reads, In Adam we all die, but in Christ we will all be made alive. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 22. The solution to your life and my life is found in the gift of God. And the gift of God is His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was studying this week, as I am prone to do, which is doesn't bode well for me in being man of the year, I cry like a baby. I just weep over these wonderful, great news that the Bible gives us. To me, this is like, wow. God loved you and me so much that he gave his only begotten son that if we just believe in him, we would not perish. We would have everlasting life. 
And what he does is, is he takes all the sin that I've committed. All. And all the sin that I'm going to commit. And he put it all under the cross. It is all paid for in full. It's God's gift. The solution to your life of sin is found in the gift of God. The words much more are a staple used by Paul. Here in just the fifth chapter, in verse 9, he, he says, Much more are we justified by His blood. Verse 9, Much more are we saved from the wrath of God. Verse 10, Much more shall we be saved by His, our Lord's life. Verse 11, and not only this, but I added much more. Have we now received the reconciliation? In verse 15, the much more is that God gives you and me who are bankrupt. We have nothing to come and pay for our sin. And He absolves our bankruptcy. Adam's sin put you and me in debt to God. The debt is... There is a payment for our sin, and the payment is the penalty, and it is death. But because of Jesus Christ, we have this payment paid in full. We are now out from under the debt of bankruptcy that is owned, owed, 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 O-W-E-D, owed by sin. And Paul assures us through Jesus Christ in Colossians again, chapter 2, verse 14. Listen, Jesus Christ, it says, canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us which were hostile to us. He has taken these sins, this debt, and He has taken it out of the way and He nailed it to the cross. Amen. Amen. We're going to be a Pentecostal church if we keep up. I like this. I do. I absolutely love the fact that you're a part of this. He took this certificate of debt that what you and I owe because of our sin, He has taken it and moved it completely out of the way. It's all paid for in full. But there's more. In verse 16, He not only gave us this free gift, but He also set us free from the shame and the guilt of sin. I want to read to you verse 16, please. Read it, please, with me. The gift, the gift that Jesus Christ wants to give you and me. It's not like that which came through the one who sinned. It's nothing like like Adam's. We were born into Adam's sin. Okay. On the one hand, the judgment arose from the one transgression. That result in the condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift of God arose from the many transgressions resulting in justification. In other words, all the sins that I have done, I said just a little while ago, they're all under the cross. They've all been nailed to the cross. They're they're all forgiven. Paul assures us of that. God, in verse 16, takes away our blame. He gives us justification. That is, just as if we've never sinned, our guilt is not there anymore. Sin's awful guilt is gone. Now, I want to grant you this. If you're anything like me, that's not an easy one to comprehend. I'm still dealing with it. 
I, I've not mastered that yet. It's, I'm, I, I want to say it's my personality, but that's my cop-out. But I carry guilt, and I carry shame. Listen, when, if you've done something wrong to me, I, I promise you, I promise you by the grace of God, I forgive you, and I, I, I will not hold it against you. But if I've done something against you and you forgive me, I promise you, I will not forgive myself. I won't. I will, I, will, I will lay my head in bed at night and say, why did I do that? What kind of a creep am I? And I will beat myself to death. It's hard for me to get rid of my own guilt and shame. How about you? It's, it's what Paul says in, in Philippians. We've got to practice these things. We've got to practice, practice, practice. And I'm telling you, I'm practicing, but it's not easy. It's not easy. But not only do we, are we promised that, that the guilt is gone, but also we've been released from the bondage of death. We've been given life. Note again in verse 17 the words much more. It says in verse 17, For if by the transgression of the one death reigned through the one, that's Adam, now watch, much more. God is saying much more to those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life. Maybe I should read that again. We will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. I mean, come on. I mean, come on. What more do you and I want? What more does God want to do for you and me to set us free so that we would live this life sanctified, set apart for the glory of God so that we might impact this this wretched world in which we live where there is nothing but sin, the presence of sin everywhere. We've got to be that light. Because of Jesus Christ, we will reign in life. Death no longer has its hold on you and me. Paul states that we have, because of God's gift, we have been released from our sin. Paul says, because of this grace, we have our payment been made in full by Jesus Christ upon the cross. And Paul says that we have no more reason to blame ourselves and we have no more bondage of death over us. Death does not hold us down anymore. Yeah, until the Lord comes, we're all going to die. You're going to bury me someday sooner or later, and, and I will be what is called dead, but no, don't, please don't worry, I'm okay. I'm dancing in the streets of gold with the Lord, and so will you be. Death holds nothing on us anymore. That's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Thanks, I forgot, thank you. Come on, sit down right here. I love that. Thanks. Christ has paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. He has washed it white as snow. Is that right, Bill? Close enough? Close enough. Verses 18 and 19 are simply a repeat of what he's been saying. Let me read it to you and just watch. Re read it with me and, and let me st I'm going to say a couple words in it. Verse 18, so then, as through one transgression, that was Adam, there resulted in condemnation to all men, that is, death. Even so, through the one act of righteousness, that's Jesus Christ, 
there resulted justification of life to all men. That's heaven. Eternal. Verse 19. For as through the one man's disobedience, that's Adam again, the many were made sinners, those are who remain in his family, who choose not to come to Christ by faith. Even so, through the obedience of one, that's Jesus Christ, the many will be made righteous, that is, forgiven, part of God's family. You see, God's provision for salvation, Jesus Christ, is, ga- is much greater than the problem, sin and death. It's much more greater. And so in verses 20 and 21, Paul concentrates on this one great word called grace. God's unmerited favor. And he does such a tremendous job that we're going to have to deal with it next week in chapter 6. Look what he says. He shows us how much grace we have in and through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Look at verse 20. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. In other words, what we always say here at this church, the law convicts you and me of our sin. It came in to show us how much sin there is. It increased sin did. But where the sin increased, grace abounded all the more. There wasn't enough sin that you could do that God couldn't forgive you. So even though when you read this and you found out how, how utterly wretched you are, he says, I've got a grace to cover your wretchedness abundantly. Don't worry, you've been forgiven. Verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through the righteousness to eternal life. Through Jesus Christ. Well, that's it. It's Jesus. It's not a religion. It's not a denomination. It's not a church. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And trusting in him by faith. And so what Paul is saying basically, and let me just close with this, the more you read the word of God, the more you're going to grow and mature in your faith, but also the more you're going to realize how much you need a Savior. That's a good thing. The first man, Adam, is compared to the last man, Christ. And Jesus Christ is the last because there'll never be another. There's no need for another. He does it all. He has freed you and me from sin, death, and hell. You see, when Jesus Christ died, the old race in Adam died alongside of him. And then when Jesus Christ rose, oh, the new race in Christ rose with him through faith. Just as you and I, by the federal headship, were in Adam at the garden, listen to this good news, so were you and I at the cross. We were there. Our sins were nailed to the cross with Jesus. And he paid for them in full. Man. You see, unless the death of Jesus Christ completely and utterly wipes out the indwelling power of sin, then Adam did something to us as people 
that Christ could not undo, which is impossible. Can't. And so I want to close with a, just a small book called Jude. It's only one chapter, verse 24. Just listen to this beautiful verse. Jude 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy. The word blameless there means utterly pure. Absolutely, profoundly justified. I leave you this morning with the greatest words that I could ever leave anybody. Go in peace. Jesus Christ has died for you. He wants you and me now to live it out. Let's quit taking it all in. We've eaten enough for this setting. Let's go out and live it. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as Christ and Jesus has forgiven you. Father, thank you so much for your Son. What a marvelous place in the Word of God. Bless us, please, Lord, wherever you might take us from here. Um, what a privilege we get to meet here at this place. What a privilege we get to meet together. I love the people of this church. Bless us, Father, please. And thank you for all good things. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I love you very much. Thank you so much for being here today. God bless you. Have a good day.